<clears throat> Today we're going to continue in our series uh, that was started by uh, George Bristow a couple of weeks ago in in First uh, John. Um, John wrote uh, four books of the New Testament. Um, he wrote the the Gospel of John, and then he wrote his three epistles, First, Second, and Third John. And uh, so we're we're dealing with the first of those epistles, and George uh, had a great introduction to that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and he framed framed the book as um, participating in the fellowship of life. And um, that was in analogy with the uh, fellowship of the ring, the uh, the Tolkien, uh, the first of the Tolkien volumes. Uh, and he showed us he showed us in that uh, sermon how God, uh, how John presents a, a picture of our new life in in the Lord. Um, a life that's uh, in fellowship with God and it's in fellowship with other believers. And so we'll, this, this will help to frame our discussion uh, during this series. Um, and what we're going to do is uh, that each of, the, each of the elders, each of the five elders is going to uh, take up uh, one, uh, one aspect of this letter. We're, we're not necessarily going through it sequentially, but just uh, one aspect of it. So today I'm going to talk about uh, this is how we know, um, <clears throat> and then uh, then Paul is going to talk about uh, walking in God's light, and uh, John Denning is going to talk about practicing God's truth. Aoni is going to talk about living in God's love, and Kevin's going to wrap the thing up with sharing in God's victory. <clears throat> and in uh, each of these will will be a, a challenge for us um, in in how we live our life. First John's a very practical book, and uh, so we want to make sure that uh, we don't just <clears throat> take it doctrinally, but we we really uh, we really challenge one another. So that's that's our our <clears throat> our idea here. Now I did uh, I did a little uh, statistics on the the book of uh, First John. Um, I know something about statistics, um, <clears throat> and uh, it turns out that <laughs> First John's quite uh, singular in a number of ways. What I did was I looked at—I um, never really thought of this before—but I looked at uh, uh, word proportions. So, in particular, how often does a certain word appear in a book? Uh, uh, normalized by how how big the book is, how how big the, how long the book is. And uh, so I mentioned a moment ago um, the, the topics that we'll be taking up, uh, know, uh, which suggests the following five words for the five topics. Know, light, truth, love, and victory. This is how we know, walking in God's light, practicing God's truth, living in God's love, and sharing in God's victory. There's five words for you. Know, light, truth, love, and victory. And for each of those words, I looked at how common that word was in each book of the Bible. And it turned out, to my great surprise, that four of those five words, life, light, love, and victory, uh, are most common among all the books in the Bible. They are most common in 1 John. Isn't that surprising? In other words, in John's first letter, he uses life, the word life, more frequently than any other book in the Bible. And the word light, and the word love, and the word victory. I looked up 
truth as well. Um, and uh, he's not quite, not quite first, he's third out of the 66 books of the Bible. Um, actually, ties for, he ties for uh, third place with 2 Timothy. And interestingly, first and second place go to 2 John and 3 John. So truth, actually, we could say is also um, most common uh, uh, in, in, uh, in John's writings as well. It's quite amazing to me that that's true. Today's word uh, is no, and uh, it turns out that that one is also uh, most common in in First John. In fact, it's the most striking one of all of them. Um, John uses the word no uh, thirty-four times in this short epistle, and uh, if you count uh, if you count the number of words. Sorry for all these numbers for you who are not number files, but uh, I really love looking at this. Um, if you count the, the number of times he uses, uh, each book uses the word no per 10,000 words, say. Uh, most of the books of the Bible, uh, in fact, most of the books of the Bible vary between zero and 40, the highest being Ecclesiastes of those, of those books. Uh, but that, <clears throat> that, with three exceptions, and the three exceptions are all bigger than 40. Uh, the Gospel of John has 52 occurrences, uh, has 52 occurrences of no per 10,000 words. First Thessalonians has 59. Now, are you with me so far? Zero to 40 for all but three books in the Bible. 52 for the Gospel of John. 59 for First Thessalonians. And then we get to First John and it's a whopping 136, 136 per 10,000 words in John, far and away the most, uh, most common use of no in the Bible. So I thought this was quite striking. All of those words, life, light, love, victory, truth, no, they're all words that uh, John uses more frequently than any other writer in the Bible. And so in order, in, in light of the fact that these are the lessons that we want to get out of First John. I think we've come to the right place, the gospel or the, uh, the first epistle of John. The topic that I want to take up today is, uh, is this idea of knowing. And uh, the word that goes along with that is assurance. We could ask ourselves, why does John use the word know so much? And the issue that he's dealing with is assurance. How do we know? How can we be sure? Um, we see the phrase, by this we know, a number of times in his, in his uh, epistle here. And we'll, we'll, we'll read the verses with that in it in a moment. Um, why is assurance such an important thing uh, in the Bible? Um, in order to, to, to get at this idea of why assurance is so important, let's think about Let's think uh, about our own spiritual journeys. And there's some common elements in, in our spiritual journeys, each one of us, uh, but there's also differences. Uh, but some of the common elements uh, are these. So we didn't all have the same experience in coming to the Lord, but uh, the things that are common were that we were all born dead in trespasses and sins. That's an expression from Ephesians chapter 2. Um, 
also common in our experience is that we all heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Now, we heard it in probably many different ways. If we were each to give our testimony here about how we first heard that message and how many times it took before we responded to it, we'd have all different answers to it. But we all heard it. We all heard that message. We also all had the experience that we responded in faith, but we probably have different ways that that happened, that we responded in faith. For some of us, maybe when we responded in faith, it was a tiny step that we took. We said something like, uh, the, the, the father of the demoniac son in Mark chapter 9, who said, um, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Or for others of us, maybe it was an overwhelming tidal wave of, of just realization of, of who we were and who God is and what he had done for us. And we just took that immediate plunge into that beautiful wave and uh, just fell at his feet. That's a different experience, but it's the same thing. It's a step of step of faith. We all uh, had this experience, though, that at some point in our lives, maybe a single point or maybe over a period of time, we, uh, as Paul says in Romans chapter 10, confessed with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Uh, and as Paul says in that section, uh, it means that we were saved. <clears throat> And again, it may not have been at a single moment. It may have been over a period of time, but we had that experience of confessing and being saved. Another aspect to this is that, uh, as Paul says in Ephesians 1.13, we were sealed with the promised, promised Holy Spirit. And I really want to emphasize this. Part of our spiritual journey is that we've been sealed um, as he as. Paul says in in Romans chapter 8 and verse 39, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. At the end of that chapter, nothing will be able to separate us. This is the doctrine of eternal security. And when I talk about assurance today, I'm not talking about eternal security. This experience that we've had as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, one part of that experience is that we have been uh, inseparably tied to God. We are in his house, and nothing can separate us from that love. If we have uh, a failure to uh, um, be assured of our salvation at some point in our lives, it's not because it's not it's not because of the fact it's not because we're slipping away and we might we might uh, lose God's favor. Um, it's, it's only something in our own mind. It's our own perception. Uh, that's, the, that's the doctrine of eternal security. In fact, in our, in our experience, uh, we, uh, we've, we came to this realization, and, and then time went by. Uh, days went by, and, and weeks went by, and months went by, and years went by. And for some of us old codgers, uh, decades have gone by. Um, in my case, uh, over half a century has gone by. And uh, that's a lot of time, a lot of experience, a lot of water under the bridge, a lot of ups and downs, spiritual highs and spiritual lows and, and failures and sins. And, uh, and sometimes 
maybe we've even we've even had some doubts like are we really saved uh if if i'm behaving in this way am i really saved um uh did god really do this work in my life now again i want to emphasize that uh if we are god's children we are eternally secure in him this has nothing to do with god it has everything to do with us and john wants to answer this question in his epistle he wants to do a bunch of things in this epistle but this is one of the things he wants to address and that's why he uses this phrase by this we know how can we know that how can we know that uh that we have been saved and he, he sort of addresses two categories of of this there's there's uh four or five occurrences of this phrase by this we know but they they boil down to really two two questions here um knowing god and loving god how do we know that we know god how do we know that we know god and how do we know that we love god how do we know that we love god how do we know that we're doing each of these two things and he has some answers for us and and uh we're going to read through those and uh if i can just give you the bottom line in case you want to tune out um and and uh and do something else let me just give you the the one word summary of the whole thing uh there there's many words in this book but uh the really the one word summary is uh we know because we're obedient now let's go into that in more detail how do we know that we know god how do we know that we abide in god well here's what john says in chapter 2 and verse 3 of 1 john he says and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments let me read that again and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments now we have to ask well what does it mean to know god I've described a, a our spiritual journey and so in in one way that's what it means to know God is to is to uh to come to him in humility and and uh repentance and and become one of his children and be saved. But John means something deeper here than than just that um sort of approaching of a person. We use knowing somebody in different ways. For example, um we can say uh oh yeah i know him and mean yeah i've met him so for example uh my friend tom turner um that i know through cmml um can say that he knows uh um george bush senior senior he met him at uh um he actually invited him to be a keynote speaker at a conference he was setting up for um Madison Avenue ad execs and and uh so he got to he was the organizer of the conference so he got to meet him at that and and kind of hit it off with him and and uh George Bush senior invited him to come to his house uh at some point which he did he went up at what some point to Kennebunkport in Maine and and went in and had afternoon tea with him so now he could say well i know George Bush senior well uh he knows him because he's met him not because not because of anything deeper but then sometimes we also say we know people because we're acquaintances with them so for example most of us i think would say at the chapel that we we know each other because we're acquaintances um 
we're acquainted with each other, we, we care for each other, um, but we don't know each other in the third sense, and that is uh, the sense of friendship. Uh, it, it's actually very hard to have more than a few uh, really close friends, um, and, and that, that's a third sense. Mostly the people that we know are acquaintances, people that we know from work, people that we know from church, people that we know from our neighborhood. Um, we know them and we, we talk to them and we know things about them and we, we share things. Um, of course, there's degrees of this, but the deepest kind is being friends, being a close friend, somebody that uh, you're, you're completely committed to and loyal to and, and love and, and support in times of difficulty and rejoice with in times of, times of joy. Uh, that's, that's, that's the really close kind of knowing. <clears throat> and that's the last, that, that last of the three is the sense in which John is talking about here. How do we know that we know God in this way? Um, we're, we're in God's circle of the people that he knows. Um, we're certainly among those that he declares to, to be his own. But how do we know that we uh, have that status, that we are if we can say it reverently, we're friends with God. Uh, we often sing that hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus. And uh, it almost seems irreverent thinking about being a friend of the almighty God. And yet, and yet that's what we're supposed to know, that we actually know him in an intimate way. How do we know that? Well, the answer that he gives is if we keep his commandments. The idea is that we know that we know God if we're, if we're behaving the way he wants us to behave, the way he behaves, the way he is, if we reflect his righteousness. And I've often mentioned this before, um, <clears throat> I think this uh, connects nicely with the idea of how um, David uh, in the Psalms, uh, Psalm 1 is an example, but there are other places, talks about meditating on the law of the Lord. He meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. And it's a curious phrase because meditating on the law doesn't, seem to fit together like why do you have to meditate on it you might you might memorize it but why would you meditate on it why would you why would you um spend time deeply reflecting on it and i think the answer is intimately tied up with this idea of of assurance as we meditate on the law of the lord we be, we come to understand what God is like, and as we become as we come to understand what God is like, we come to understand what He desires uh, in the way that we behave. And when we do that, then we desire to behave that way, and we keep His commandments. Keeping His commandments means more than just uh, the Pharisaical approach, which was to try to nail them down as much as possible and then make sure that we adhere exactly precisely to the things that that are written down it actually it, it's far from that and the lord taught that many times when he 
when he was uh, interacting with the Pharisees. Um, and what he was basically teaching in those interactions was that we need to understand what God is like and, and be like him. That's what keeping his commandments means. So in order to, in order to test ourselves to see if we know the Lord, the way we do that is by asking ourselves, well, am I keeping his commandments? Am I being the way he is? Am I being like him? Am I, am I acting the way he acts? We could say, am I acting the way he acted when he was on the earth? Um, there's that sort of cliche-ish phrase, what would Jesus do? But it has some, it has some merit to it. What would Jesus do? Am I acting that way? That is keeping his commandments. Of course, we have explicit commandments. We have things written down very explicitly by the Lord, and, and, um, and they help us to determine that. But what we need to do there is to meditate on those and see what the principles are and extend those to all aspects of our lives. So that's really what's going on here when he says assurance. How can we be sure we're Nothing can separate us but the, from the love of Christ, the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. But how can we in our brains really know that, know that we're accepted in him and that we are friends with him and that we're walking with him and that we know him? Well, one of the tests for that is our obedience. But there's a second test as well to see if we know him. In chapter 3 and verse 24, he says, by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And then in chapter 4 and verse 13, it says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So there's another idea, is that God, as part of this, this salvation package, this, uh, this, this beautiful thing that he's done in our lives, uh, as part of this, he has given us his spirit. And uh, we know this. We know that his spirit indwells us. And he has many roles in our lives. Um, uh, those are uh, a good place to look if you want to study those, is to look at the, the Last Supper dialogues there in, in John 13 through uh, 16. Um, there's uh, five places in there where it talks about the roles that the, the Holy Spirit uh, plays in our, our lives. But this is one of them here. The Holy Spirit, who abides in us, who dwells in us, tells us that all of this um, relationship about uh, with God is true. He convicts us of the truth. He strengthens our faith. He gives us assurance. So this is a supernatural thing. So the first one where we look at our lives, we look objectively at our lives, and we see if we're following his, him and his commandments, that's looking at ourselves, that's done by ourselves. The second one is done by the Holy Spirit. This is God convicting us that it's true, that all of what we have claimed is true, and that he does love us, and that he does accept us, and that we are in him, and that nothing can separate us. That's just a wonderful gift that he gives to us, that we are 
we are uh, convicted daily by the Holy Spirit, convinced, I might say, that, that this is true. And I think this is something that we can pray for. Um, we can certainly uh, pray that uh, God would reveal himself to us uh, in his righteousness so that we might obey his commandments, but we can also pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to do his, his convincing work in our lives. And as he does that more, then we gain this closer relationship with God, and then we uh, can follow him more closely. It's a feedback loop. And then the spirit is, is more in tune with our spirit and is able better to convince our spirit. And then it, and then the cycle goes on and, uh, and we become more and more sure as we get older uh, that, that all of this is true. So I said there were two things. One of them is um, how we know that we know God. The second one is how we know that we love God. Knowing him is one thing, but loving is, is on a whole different level. How do we know that we love God? How do we know that we, know that we love the children of God? We say we do. We say we love God. I love God. But do we really love God? Like, how do we know that we love God? How can we be assured of that? And he, again, he gives two answers to this. The first one is in chapter 3 and verse 16, where uh, the answer is basically, uh, we know that we love God because we know what true love is. So that's the first thing, the first basis of it. By this we know love, he says there, that he laid down his life for us. So in order to understand whether we love God, we need to understand what it means to love. And uh, there's... There's lots said about love, um, probably 80 to 90 percent of the uh, music in the last 50 years has been about love. Um, most of it is false. But um, we do have a, a source for knowing what true love is. And, uh, and what is true love? Well, we look to Christ. He laid down his life for us. God actually has given us, if we want to know what love is, he's given us the, the most possible perfect example of love. And any test of love has to be measured against this example. We often say in our lives, uh, Jesus died for my sins. And it's become a rote phrase in our lives, partly because we say it so often, and partly because it's actually a very, very deep theological um, statement um, talking about justification and substitution. And it's, a, it's actually the deeper you probe into it, the, the more difficult it can be to understand how this could be the case. So it's part of the reason. Um, and, and part of it is also that um, we just, we can't comprehend the magnitude of this. We try to. Um, I can remember times in my life when, when I've, I've, you know, really tried hard to probe the 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 magnitude of this, and and I can just remember feelings of just being overwhelmed by by how magnificent uh, this love is, um, and it doesn't happen very often to me. Um, maybe because I don't think about it enough. But um, Jesus died for my sins is a is a very simple phrase that. Uh, is is just deeply profound and it in according to john here 
it gives us that test for what love is. And so it's necessary to do this as we examine our love for God. The first thing we have to do is know what love is. And by this, we know what love is, that he laid down his life for us. And the second thing he says is in chapter 5 and verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. And there, there we come full circle again. So what's going on here? Well, I think the idea is is fairly simple. Um, Once we, and again, it's this feedback loop. Once we we grasp Christ's love for us and his his desire for us, uh, I loved when Larry brought out that that idea of earnestly desiring to to, uh, eat the Passover with his disciples, because this exactly captures this idea that that um, Christ desires our fellowship. Once we, once we can grasp that, then we can see that our loyalty to God is uh, that, that, that our obedience is, is how we measure our loyalty to God. He is committed 100% to us and so now our obedience shows our commitment to him, how, how committed we are to him, how loyal we are to him, uh, returning that love. Um, and so um, if, if, if I have the question, well, am I, am I actually loving other people? How do I know that I'm loving other people? Well, then the answer to that is another question. Well, do I love God? And the answer to that is, well, do I obey God? And it all comes back to that. And in fact, if you think about it, uh, the idea uh, of of uh, failing to love one another and then saying that I love God, that, that's just the height of hypocrisy. Because, um, because of this, uh, this loop that um, if God... God loves me, then I love him. He's loyal to me. I'm loyal to him. I obey him. And then I don't, uh, even though there's this uh, magnificent example of love in our lives in the Lord Jesus Christ, I then go away and, and don't love other people. It's, it's, it's hypocritical. It's, it's exactly like the parable uh, of the, uh, the servant who, who was forgiven a great debt by his master. And then he uh, went to his, uh, the people that worked for him and refused to forgive very, uh, relatively speaking, very small debts that were owed to him. Uh, that's what it's like. So <clears throat> how do I know that I know God? Well, I obey him. And how do I know that I love God? Well, I obey him. Um, and also I know that um, uh, the the I I know that I know God uh, because His Holy Spirit is is convicting me that that's true. Now this idea of self examination, in summary, is not is not something that um, uh, John is just making up. He's not he's he's not being sort of unlike the other preachers in the New Testament that speak about the gospel and speak about salvation and and 
and so on. He's not trying to throw doubt in our minds. Uh, quite the opposite. He's trying to show us how we can be convinced. But it is important to ask ourselves this question. Do I really know God? And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 13, or 2 Corinthians 13, 5, um, says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He actually instructs us to do that. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, he says. Or do you not realize that this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? And so here we have the test. Bottom line is basically that there, there's two tests. Uh, one is obedience, and the other is conviction by the Spirit. One of them is under our control, and one of them is under God's control. And I, I can't emphasize enough, uh, in case you're, you're thinking that I'm uh, preaching a, a gospel of, of, uh, of um, losing your salvation. I'm not saying that at all. Nothing to do with, uh, or, or, that, or that salvation depends on anything but faith. Uh, Luther was the one who recovered that magnificent truth that um, salvation is, uh, justification is by faith alone in Christ alone. And uh, that is absolutely true. Um, we're not talking here about, when we talk about obedience, we're not talking about um, whether we're going to heaven or not, whether we'll lose our salvation. Um, that's not, that's not uh, the case. But it is the case, if you think about the parable of the sower, that there are some people who will respond right away to the gospel, uh, perhaps in great joy, and then um, and then they'll fall back to their old way, and and they the the gospel has absolutely no effect on their lives. Uh, they're they're completely disobedient to um, the way God is and God's righteousness. They exhibit no righteousness in their lives for various reasons um, given in that parable. Um, and there's the, the, only, the only thing that ever happened was that one instant, that one very brief instant in their lives when they, when they momentarily uh, thought that <clears throat> um, the, uh, the proposition of the gospel sounded, sounded like it was true. But those people the Lord would tell us in that parable. They're, they're, not, they're not believers. They never were believers. How do they know that? How do they know that they don't know God? Well, it's because they're not obedient to him and that they don't have the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They never were believers. The true believer is never separated from God. So as we... Uh, as we uh, practice this in our own lives, this practice of, of having assurance that we are saved, let's remember that assurance is not uh, a binary thing. Sometimes we think of it that way, that we're, we're either sure or we're not sure. Some people even uh, would go so far as to say, if you're not 100% sure, then you're sinning. Maybe some of you believe that, but the scripture never teaches that. Um, there's, uh, there's definitely an expectation that uh, in the scriptures that 
that uh, we need to test ourselves and that we need to, uh, we will have these experiences in our lives where we, we want to know if we know. And, uh, and so the, the answer to that is to uh, meditate on the law of the Lord, meditate on the words of, of our Lord, to, to understand them, to understand what he was like, to desire to be what he was like. This isn't gaining us any credit in God's eyes. The only credit that we have in God's eyes is, is the righteousness of his own son. But it is helping, to, uh, helping us to become more and more sure that, uh, that we are, in fact, his children. So this is the underpinning to uh, what we'll do in the rest of uh, the, the remaining four sessions, walking in God's light, practicing God's truth, living in God's love, and sharing in God's victory. Let's just pray. Our Father, we're, um, uh, I think we, we would all confess that there are moments in our lives when, when um, we, uh, our, our sin, whether it's present or past, um, or even far past, just overwhelms us. And, and, or maybe we're, um, we're just feeling uh, distant from you. And we wonder, do we really know you? And I just pray that uh, for, your, for the conviction of your Holy Spirit, I thank you that he lives in me, he lives in each one of us. Uh, that's one of his great works. I thank you that he's doing that daily, um, convincing us and convicting us that, um, um, that, uh, that you have done this work in, in our lives and that we are secure in you and, and that we do know you and that um, the extent to which we feel distant from you sometimes is entirely up to us, and it's not you. And we just thank you for your extreme loyalty to us, um, uh, never giving up on us and, and uh, never allowing uh, uh, anything to separate us from your love. We just rejoice in that and we revel in it, but we do pray for assurance. Um, and uh, we just desire to be more obedient to you, to to know what you're like, help us to do that, to, to uh, speak with you and learn of you and your word, uh, to learn what you're like and what you love, and uh, to uh, follow you more closely as a result. Just thank you for this time we've been able to have together, and we look forward, Father, to what you will teach us as we uh, make our way through this uh, wonderful letter of 1 John. Pray these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.